What's up, guys? Like Ryan said, my name is David. I have new life in Christ, recovering from pride, anger, control. And it is so fun to get to be here with y'all. I love what is happening on Monday nights. As it has been said often, the healthiest people at Watermark or in our body are either here on Monday nights or they're doing what just is ultimately what the Bible teaches of working through at a soul level and taking God's word and experiencing healing and recovery. And so like Ryan said, uh, I was asked to talk about anxiety, which is a passion point for me and my wife in particular, who is also a counselor who deals with people who struggle with anxiety. And um, I think one of the reasons is because of the ways that God's word has been profoundly helpful for me personally as it relates to anxiety on a number of different issues. And also because of the disconnect, I think, that is often the case among Christians or people in the church as it relates to what God's word actually teaches about anxiety and how to combat it. In other words, if you ask the average Christian, what does God's word, the Bible say about being anxious or anxiety, they probably would say you should stop or have more faith or just pray more. All of which are such an oversimplification of what the Bible actually teaches, it's candidly unbiblical. And not only that, it's unhelpful. In other words, if you could just stop being anxious, you would have stopped already. Nobody's willingly choosing like, oh, wow, that was so helpful. You just said stop, and now I don't, I'm not anxious anymore. That was so helpful. Let me write that down. And the good news is God's word is so much more practical and helpful. And so I want to quickly move because I teach at the porch on Tuesdays. I normally have like 45 minutes and now I have like nine. So I'm going to move very quick. And we're going to look at Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 6. It's a passage you're probably, if you've been in church, familiar with. But there's some tremendously profound things that are inside of there. And so if you have a Bible, you can flip open to Matthew chapter 6. We'll start in verse 25. But before we do that, let me give the definition when I say anxiety, what I mean. Because one of the challenges of this word is there are a lot of definitions attached to it. Like if somebody says I'm anxious or if somebody says I have anxiety, those two different things. If somebody is feeling stressed or overwhelmed or panicked, are those connected or are those different? And, you know, there's different opinions in psychology and different things. And that's really not my lane. My lane is a pastor. And so I want to say, what does God's word say and how does God's word define? Because interestingly enough, the same word for being anxious is also translated for having anxiety or anxieties. And it's a Greek word that is really, really important to understand what the Bible means when it talks about anxiety. And my guess is, unless you, know, you did go through that book or you've been hanging around here for a while, you maybe have never heard this before. The Greek word, which is what the New Testament was written in, for anxious or to have anxiety, is a Greek word, merim now. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Greek word merim now, so when Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication, or when Jesus, as we're going to see, says do not be anxious, the Greek word merim now is not to have an anxious thought. It's a word that was synonymous with meditation. In other words, when the Bible says do not be anxious, it's saying do not willingly choose to meditate on fearful and anxious thoughts. In other words... When Paul says in Philippians 4, don't be anxious, but pray, he's not saying never have an anxious thought, just pray. That's impossible. For the rest of your life and my life, you're gonna have anxious thoughts. What is possible is to, when they pop up, not choose to meditate and focus 
and dwell on and feed them. And so that's what the Bible means by do not be anxious. And so with that in mind, I want to walk through five quick things, because now I'm down to eight minutes, as it relates to what Jesus says in anxiety. So Matthew chapter five, or Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So he brings up what his audience would have been anxious about, but you could fill in the blank, whatever your anxieties are, he would say, do not be anxious about whether or not your kids are going to make it into college. Do not be anxious about whether the stock market's going to tank and your retirement is going to fizzle away. Do not be anxious about whether your cancer treatment's going to work, all of which are real things. But he's saying, hey, you can choose not to meditate and dwell on fearful and anxious thoughts. And then he asks a profound question that most people just move right by. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And why do I say that's profound? Well, is Jesus asking that question, like he's asking his audience to us, he'd say, isn't life more than having a spouse? Isn't life more than making sure your kids get in the right school and making sure you get the promotion or you, you can afford to live in that neighborhood or afford to go to that school? Isn't life more than those things? Why would he ask that question? Well, because he's God, we can assume it's not because he doesn't know the answer. In other words, he's not asking the question to go like, guys, I am really trying to figure out what life is about, okay? Is life food? Is that what it is? In other words, he's asking the question for his audience's sake and help put into a bigger perspective the objects of their worry. Because his audience would have forced him to go, no, I mean, life, is, life does not equal food. I mean, food is important, but at the end of the day, life is about way more than food, of course. Then why would you spend so much of your life on worrying about it? What Jesus is doing is what counselors today often will do, and then he's helping them track down their anxiety. The first of these five things is just tracking down what you're actually anxious about. Because anxiety plagues off this kind of vague ambiguous feeling of fear and what if happens instead of going, yeah, what if you lose your job? Or what if the relationship doesn't work out? Like answer the question, to track it down, to trace it down. That's what he's attempting to do. Why do I say if you go see a counselor, they'll do something similar oftentimes. It's through my own experience of being married to a counselor or seeing a counselor. I can think of a story that will kind of connect the dots of how even today people just do what Jesus was doing. I had a friend that was going to see a counselor and he was in ministry and he was telling his counselor, man, I'm just anxious over whether I'll be able to afford to pay for my kid's college someday. And it's a you know, real thing. If you have kids, you probably can relate. I know I can relate to. And he was sitting there with the counselor and he was like, man, I'm just, should I leave ministry? What should I do? I'm just afraid. And the counselor said, what happens if you can't afford to pay for your kid's college someday? And he said, oh, man, well, you know, I guess they'd have to take out loans or get a scholarship or, you know, maybe they won't even go to college. And the counselor said, what if they have to take out loans or get a scholarship or don't go to college? And my friend said, I would feel like a bad dad. And the counselor responded and said, is that what it means to be a bad dad? 
doesn't pay for college? Is it possible to be a good dad and not pay for college? Is it possible to be a bad dad and to pay for college? On the top 10 lists of things that make a good dad, which number would pays for college be? And when you have that perspective on it, you go, I don't even know that it's on the list. And what's fueling his anxiety is some flawed belief about what makes a good dad that he just had never tracked down and traced down. It often is the case for a lot of our anxieties that we feel like, man, if I lose the job or if I don't live in a certain area or if I don't perform a certain way that I've failed, and then you stop and often with the help of other people or counselors or community, you go, oh man, I've bought a flawed definition of what it means to be a failure. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. And so the first thing he helps them do is track down their anxiety. The second thing that he helps them do is to remember the promises of God. And I'm going to give one more anecdote on the track, and then the other four are going to be really fast. One of the most helpful things if you're struggling with anxiety is to look it in the face and to track down your anxiety. And then to remember the promises of God. Like, let me give something from my own life. I could leave here and I could find myself being anxious. I've got three little kids and married to an amazing wife. And I could easily get on the track of, man, what if my wife got cancer and died? Now, when that thought comes into my head, I can either go, oh, I'm going to dismiss that or, you know, believe, no, that won't happen to us. We're more than conquerors, which are not biblical things. Or I could go, what if? Then I would, but God. Now, does that make the anxiety, so what if she got sick? What if something happened to my wife? Then I would go through the most painful season I could honestly imagine. But God has promised he will never leave me nor forsake me. He is enough. He's given me all these different promises, which is where Jesus goes next of, hey, remember the promises of God. So I'm gonna track it down. What if, answer the question, then I would, but God. So the next verse that Jesus goes through, he says this in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap in barns, yet God feeds them. Are you not more valuable to God than a bird? And why are you anxious about clothes? Look at the lilies of the field. He gives another illustration. They grow and they spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon and all of his drip looked like one of these. But if everyone under the age of 30 has no idea what I mean by drip, uh, kids these days. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what should we eat? What should we wear? What should we drink? Gentiles, people who don't have a heavenly father, seek after all of these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. The second idea is remembering the promises of God. What if I would, but God will? What if I lose my job? Then I'd have to look for another job. But God has promised to provide for my needs. Not all my wants, but my needs. What if I can't afford to fix my car? Then I'd have to figure out another way to get around. But God would help me and meet me there. What if something tragic happens? To answer the question, but then remember the promises of God. 
I think they have a slide of some of those promises that we can throw up and you can take a picture quick and I don't have time to unpack all of them. But here's just some of the things that he has promised. No matter what you face, he will be your provider. He will be the cornerstone. He will protect you. He will restore your joy, give you peace. That what if that I would, and I'm gonna remember the promises of God. I track it down. I remember the promises of God. Then Jesus asked two questions in the midst of the passage where he says, can any of you by worrying... Add a single hour to your life. I'm sorry, one question. And why would Jesus ask this? Well, the third idea is Jesus points out, hey, understand worry is useless. Again, he's just getting everybody on the same page of going, hey, does worry positively contribute to your life anyways? Let's just all agree that this is not something that is benefiting us in a positive, productive way, right? It doesn't add your life. If anything, it takes away of your life. And he's just getting his audience to buy in. Hey, it's never a productive use of time, Correct. And he's about to give him an alternative. But he is suggesting worrying is not going to positively contribute to the thing you're worrying about. It's funny, when you think about the ways we even talk about battles with anxiety, we use just funny phrases that reflect that I often forget this. What do I mean? We say things like, man, I struggle with control. Even earlier, you know, recovering from control. The ironic thing about that is that's similar to my six-year-old son saying, I struggle with super Hulk strength because that's something he's saying he struggles with that he doesn't have and he will never have. And the same is true with control. It's like saying I struggle with x-ray vision. It's like, no, you don't. You've never had x-ray vision. You never will have. And the same is true with control. And Jesus is just saying, hey, that's got all on the same page. Understand Worry or anxiety, worrying is useless. And then the most practical one, and then I'll close. But seek first or prioritize first the kingdom or the rule of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So you track down your anxiety, remember the promises of God. We understand worry is useless, it's not productive. And then I'm gonna do the most practical thing. I'm gonna seek God's kingdom and surrender mine. I'm gonna seek God's kingdom and surrender yours. Jesus just said, prioritize God's kingdom or God's rule, God's reign in your life above your own. Let there be no competition for whose agenda in your life comes first. On the throne of your heart is God's agenda and God's will and God's kingdom. And he's saying, if you can begin to surrender your agenda and embrace God's or trust God's, even when it contradicts your own, you'll begin to experience peace because what we worry about reflects whose kingdom we're concerned about. Like in other words, I rarely, I've never actually been worried about God's ability to uh, faithfully build his kingdom. I don't, I've never, I'm embarrassed to say it or maybe I shouldn't be embarrassed. I've never missed you know, a night of sleep because I'm just like, oh man, God, there's a billion people in China. They're not reached. I don't know if you have what it takes. I've never found myself worrying over God's kingdom. What do I worry about? I worry about my kingdom, my wants, my future, my kids, my life. And Jesus profoundly is saying, if you can learn to prioritize God's agenda and his kingdom and his will for your life as it unfolds in front of you, even when it contradicts the things you would want, if you can go, God, man, this is not what I would want, but I trust you you'll experience peace. Because getting everything you want in life is not possible. If you've been alive for an hour, you know that. 
And so you and I worrying about not getting everything we want is just foolish because you're not going to get everything you want. So getting everything I want in life is not possible, but peace is. And so I can surrender, God, even when it contradicts mine, I am going to choose to trust you, even when it's hard. We went through a season where our daughter, who's, who's uh, four to, or about to be four, um, we were pregnant. We found out she was pregnant, and just really quickly, uh, the doctor basically called us on a Wednesday night in the middle of December and said, we found out you're having a girl, which was not the way we anticipated the reveal happening. But the reason we know that is because she's been flagged for a chromosomal disorder, that if she has, there's a 99% chance she will die before she makes it out of the womb. And if she does live and is in the 1%, she'll have immediately heart, immediate heart complications or heart surgery will be required. She'll never be able to have kids. So have severe complications for the rest of her life. And it was like a bomb went off. We're just... And that put us on this journey of beginning to honestly embrace and live and experience both the truths from God's word and a peace at a deeper level of going, God, we don't want our baby to die. God, we please not allow our child to die. But if that's your will, and I can't understand how that could be your will, but if that's sovereignly what's gonna happen, God, we trust you. We're trying to trust you. And every moment in that nine months where God was growing our faith and growing our prayer life, it wasn't all filled with peace. But every moment that was, was the moment we did that. And we're going to surrender our agenda and our kingdom, and we're going to trust you, God. And we're going to try to trust you by seeking your will, embracing what you have, and trusting you. And then Jesus finishes up and he ends and says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, take one day at a time. That's the final one. So you track down your anxiety, remember the promises of God, understand worry is useless, seek God's kingdom, surrender yours, take it one day at a time. In other words, it's not something you fix today and it goes away. Anxiety will be present and fear will be present for the rest of our life. But when it happens, you begin to track it down. I remember the promises of God. I seek God's kingdom and I surrender mine. And then when I do, I'll experience peace one day at a time. My family and I like to go to the ocean. I'll close here. And, and uh, occasionally we'll go to the beach or go on vacation somewhere. And, you know, you go out in the ocean and, you're throwing a football or throwing the Frisbee around and you're out in front of your hotel and, you know, 40 minutes goes by and you look up and you're like, this is not our hotel. Where are we right now? And you look down and you realize that the current of the ocean had pushed you without even realizing it away from where you were. And in order to get back, it's very simple. You get out and you just kind of walk back. You're going to walk back against the current of that wave. And really, anxiety is going to operate similarly in your life. For the rest of your life, the current of anxiety in the world around you is going to attempt to push you away from God's peace. But when it does, we intentionally begin to walk against the current of that fear and anxiety by tracking it down, remembering God's promises, Understanding anxiety is, is not positive, it's not helpful, it's useless. And seeking God's kingdom and surrendering ours one day 
at a time, which spells out trust. Track it down, remember, understand it's useless, seek his kingdom, take it one day at a time. Now with that said, we're gonna have a chance to hear from someone who has their own personal experience and journey with God being at work to bring peace about in our life. Will you guys help me welcome to the stage Kelly from our staff team. Thank <laughs> you.